Okay, something has happened in the motorcade route. Something, I repeat, has happened in the motorcade route. There's numerous people running up the hill alongside Elm Street, there by the Simmons Freeway. Several police officers are rushing up the hill at this time. Stand by. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. This is just in from Dallas, Homicide Chief Captain Will Fritz said today, the assassination case against Lee Harvey Oswald is cinched. He said flatly, this is the man that killed President Kennedy. 24-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald. Welcome to the End of Innocence. I'm your host, John Young. In last week's episode, we looked at the arrest of Lee Harvey Oswald at the Texas Theater. If you missed it, go back and listen. It's got some bombshell revelations that will make you question everything you've heard about Lee Harvey Oswald's arrest at the Texas Theater that day. But before we move on, I want to take a quick look back and see how we've got to where we are right now. You know, over the years, I've heard so many different stories about J.D. Tippett. You know, the more I dig down, the crazier it gets. Was he a bad cop? Did he know Jack Ruby? Was he in the carousel club a lot? Did he and Lee Oswald know each other? You know, you had a situation where all Dallas police cars were sent to the Texas School Book Depository after the assassination, yet J.D. Tippett is sent to Oak Cliff, which is a mile from Oswald's house. What is interesting is he's sitting in his police car number 10 at a gas station and the call comes to go to Oak Cliff area of Dallas. So he speeds off and he goes to a record store on Jefferson Boulevard. He goes in there and asks to use their phone. Tippett then makes a call and it rings about seven or eight times. Nobody answers, according to the record store owner. He then dashes out in a hurry, jumps in his car, and speeds off. Within ten minutes of being in that record store, J.D. Tippett is dead. The timeline that the Warren Commission put together is absolutely baffling. They have to monkey around with Tippett's time of death to make it fit into Oswald's timeline because we know that Oswald was back at his rooming house a few minutes after 1 o'clock. We know that because the housekeeper was watching CBS News Days of Our Lives and it's interrupted by CBS News Bulletin of the President's shooting. We know the time of the bulletin was 12.59 p.m., so we know what time Oswald shows up at the rooming house. The situation at the rooming house where Robert sees him, that's kind of like a touchstone. She sees him get into his jacket, she sees him leave, and she sees him go to the bus stop across the street, and it's like 104 to 105 p.m. So we know what time Oswald gets to his rooming house, we know what time he's across the street, and we know that he's going to the Texas Theater. According to the Warren Commission, Oswald literally has eight minutes to go a mile from his house to the location of the Tippett shooting. Now, the shooting is anywhere from 1.10 to 1.14 p.m., but on Tippett's death certificate, 
They have him dead at the hospital. Yes, at the hospital at 1.15 p.m. So the Warren Commission, the Dallas Police, and the FBI is monkeying around with this timeline trying to get Oswald from his rooming house to the shooting in time to shoot Tippett. But no matter how you twist his timeline, it just doesn't fit. This thing, it just doesn't work out. And in here lies an incredible amount of corruption and framing of Oswald. Keep in mind, this is literally 40 to 45 minutes after the assassination of President Kennedy. As a listener, think about what you did for the past 45 minutes of your life. Imagine you're shooting the president. You're an average shot at best, but you managed to hit a target moving away from you two of three times in less than six seconds with an old bolt-action Italian rifle from a distance of 265 feet. You then wipe the rifle clean of prints, stash the gun across the huge sixth floor of the depository, and you have to dodge stacks of books everywhere when doing so. You come down five flights of stairs past two women who never see you. You casually buy a Coke instead of rushing out of the building. You're seen by a motorcycle officer and the manager of the building, but you're calm as a cucumber after just shooting the most powerful man in the free world. You live about five miles away. Somehow you get home with a multitude of buses, cabs, and all this traffic. You're home a few minutes after one o'clock and put on a jacket and supposedly grab your pistol. Somehow you travel nine-tenths of a mile on foot in seven to eight minutes, but no one sees you jogging or running. You end up at the corner of 10th and Patton and shoot a Dallas police officer. Side note, at the exact same time of the Tippett shooting, you are seen by the manager of the Texas Theater buying popcorn from him. Also, you leave your wallet at the Tippett shooting scene. Oh, man. Even though you have $14 in your pocket, you sneak into the theater instead of buying a 75-cent ticket, which you know will attract attention to yourself. Maybe you're supposed to meet somebody there. Maybe you're just going to see a movie. You sit in the back of the theater right beside a young man, even though this 900-seat theater has less than 20 patrons in it. You get up and move seats several times, each time sitting right next to a person and only staying seated for a few seconds before getting up and moving again. At 1.30, the police rush in and arrest you for shooting a Dallas police officer and the President of the United States. Wow, what an incredible 60 minutes of your life you just experienced. Welcome to the world of Lee Harvey Oswald. Walls, what would go to a movie theater at this time is perhaps explained by his background as an intelligence operative. It is common practice for agents to arrange clandestine meetings at such places where they exchange information then leave without raising suspicion. Who was Oswald there to meet? Was it Ruby? What was his assignment, if any? Lee Oswald was arrested at the Texas Theater with, we are told, a revolver tucked away in the waistband of his slacks. It was a Smith & Wesson 38 Special 2-inch Commando model revolver and cost $29.95. Oswald did not own a 38 automatic pistol, only a 38 revolver. That's very important. Connecting the weapon supposedly taken from Oswald to the shooting of Tippett is problematic. A radio broadcast by Sergeant Gerald Hill, who transmitted as follows, quote, The shell at the scene indicates that the suspect is armed with an automatic 38 rather than a pistol, end quote. The handgun allegedly taken from Oswald at the time of his arrest was a 38 revolver, not an automatic. Sergeant Hill made his critical statement after Officer J.M. Poe, another officer on the scene, showed him a Winston cigarette package containing three empty bullet shells, which Domingo Benavides had turned over to him after the shooting. 
ammunition for a revolver is not interchangeable with ammunition for an automatic, and the shells on either type of ammunition are clearly marked. .38 SPL, special for revolvers, or .38 Auto. Then there's the problem of identification of the empty shells. Policeman J.M. Poe received two cartridge cases from witness Benavidez at the scene. In an FBI report, Poe firmly stated that he marked the cases with his initials, J.M.P., before turning them over to Dallas Crime Lab personnel. However, on June 12, 1964, the FBI showed Poe the 438 special cases used as evidence of Oswald's guilt by the Warren Commission. The Bureau reported, quote, Poe recalled marking these cases before giving them to lab personnel, but he stated after a thorough examination of the four cartridges shown to him, he could not locate his mark. Therefore, he cannot positively identify any of these cartridges as being the ones he received from Benavidez, end quote. In the afternoon after the shooting of Officer Tippett, two more empty shells had been found in the bushes at the corner of 10th and Patton. Based on the statements of officers Poe and Hill, we have three shells turned over to Hill by Domenico Benavidez. Virginia and Barbara Davis each found an empty shell on the ground near their house on the corner of 10th and Patton. These two shells were also turned over to the police. This gives us a total of five shells. But the Warren Commission had their ballistics expert, Joseph Nicole, examine the four cartridge cases found near the side of the homicide. The Warren report states, quote, The examination and testimony of the experts enabled the commission to conclude that five shots may have been fired, even though only four bullets were recovered. What became of the fifth bullet shell? End quote. New evidence has recently been discovered about a possible fifth bullet. An interview with Eddie Kinsley, who was the assistant to Clayton Butler, the ambulance driver who picked up the body of Officer Tippett at the shooting site, Kinley stated, quote, I kicked one of the bullets out of my ambulance that went into his jacket button that wasn't even counted as one of the shots. I kicked it out of the ambulance onto the parking lot of Methodist Hospital. It didn't go in the body. The first shot hit him in the temple, and then the next one hit him in the chest and in the stomach. And this one that they missed hit him in the button, and it fell off in the ambulance still in his button. And I would give a million dollars if I had never kicked that thing out and kept it instead, end quote. Let's cover this again, as this may be one of the most important pieces of information of that entire weekend. This right here just shows you further evidence proving that Oswald was not involved in the shooting of J.D. Tippett, or he had an accomplice. This came directly from Chief Jesse Curry's book, and it says, quote, At 1.40 p.m., Sergeant Hill said shells at the scene indicate the suspect is armed with a 38 automatic rather than a pistol, end quote. Oswald only owned a 38 revolver. Oswald's gun took 38 revolver bullets, not 38 automatic bullets. They're not interchangeable under any circumstance. The shell casings of a 38 automatic were automatically ejected at the scene of the Tippett murder, and there were two bullet casings from a revolver at the scene as well. Here's my question. If Oswald's the shooter, why would he empty the gun and leave evidence behind at the scene of the crime? He could have emptied that gun anywhere along Jefferson Avenue, throwing them in a trash can. Why would he do it right there at the crime scene? Again, Oswald didn't own a 38 automatic. Either he had an accomplice or he wasn't involved in the Tippett shooting at all. The autopsy performed by Dr. Earl Rose said J.D. Tippett had two different types of bullets in his body, two 38 automatics and two 38 revolvers from two different gun manufacturers. It just doesn't add up. 
According to the Warren Commission, the JFK murder weapon can be tracked back to Lee Harvey Oswald because the serial number of the Carcano rifle found on the sixth floor, C2766, matches the serial number of a rifle that was shipped to a P.O. box owned by Oswald. When he was arrested, Oswald had a Ford Selective Service card in his wallet with the name Alec J. Heidel and a photo of Oswald's face. A side note here, two wallets were supposedly found that day, and both supposedly were Lee Harvey Oswald's wallets. One was left at the J.D. Tippett murder scene, if you can imagine that. The second was found on Oswald at the time of his arrest in the Texas theater. It's not just my opinion, but the opinion of many, many others. That one was truly Oswald's wallet, the other one was planted, possibly by the Oswald double. During interrogations at the Dallas Police Department, Oswald was asked about the Heidel card in his wallet. He says, quote, Now I've told you all I'm going to tell you about that card in my billfold. You have the card yourself, and you know as much about it as I do, end quote. Oswald did admit during police interrogations that he rented the P.O. box, but he denied receiving a package addressed to Heidel. He also specifically denied receiving the rifle or ordering the rifle. We will take a deeper look at this mysterious Alex J. Heidel when we try to determine whether the rifle that the Warren Commission says was used to kill President Kennedy truly belonged to Lee Harvey Oswald. Remember, I've said numerous times that they were sloppy in covering up their tracks when it came to this assassination and the framing of Lee Harvey Oswald? Here's another example. Oswald, in the late fall of 1962, lived at 602 Elsted, but that address never showed up on any of his applications or employment forms from the book depository. Two hours after the assassination, Colonel Jones with the 4th Army Military Intelligence got a call from his people in Dallas and they said, quote, They've got a suspect here and his name is Alex J. Heidel, end quote. And Jones said he went to the military intelligence files and looked up Alex J. Heidel and found it cross-referenced to Lee Harvey Oswald and it gave his address as 602 Elsted. What does all that mean? It means Army intelligence tipped off the Dallas police that the man they wanted was Lee Harvey Oswald. The countdown to Oswald's murder began the moment the president was shot. From his actions immediately after the assassination, it appeared that Oswald realized, much too late, that he was being set up as a patsy to take the blame for the killing. When he was arrested at the Texas Theater, instead of trying to escape, Oswald tried a desperate ploy to save his life by shouting, quote, I am not resisting arrest, end quote. It has been theorized that Oswald was, from the moment he returned to the United States after his defection to the Soviet Union, manipulated and deceived by the intelligence community for which he worked. He was one of the first, quote, strange deaths of numerous eyewitnesses and co-conspirators in the Kennedy case. Finally, we received information he was in the Texas theater. We went to this location, surrounded it from the outside, and then about eight officers, including one FBI, FBI agent and some uniform officers, went into the location and uh, subdued the suspect, disarmed him, handcuffed him, put him in the car and went to the station and turned him over to Captain Fritz and the Homicide Bureau. Between the time of his arrest on November 22nd and his death on November 24th, Lee Oswald was interrogated for a total of 12 hours. Captain Will Fritz did the vast majority of the questioning. In his 12 hours of questioning by Dallas police, Oswald continuously denied he had shot the president. No notes were taken of these interrogations. Can you imagine the interrogation of the man who allegedly shot the president of the United States and no notes, no recordings, no filmings were made of the interrogation sessions? It's unbelievable. From the moment of his arrest, Oswald maintained that he had not shot anyone. He admitting to owning a handgun, but he claimed he had never owned a rifle. 
He would not answer questions about the Alex J. Heidel ID card found in his wallet at the time of his arrest. He said that at the moment when President Kennedy was shot, he was eating his lunch in the depository lunchroom, first or second floor. He spoke of the encounter with Roy Truly and police officer Marion Baker about 90 seconds after the shooting. He told police that he walked out the front door of the depository and talked to his supervisor, Bill Shelley, for five to ten minutes, and that Shelley told him that there wasn't going to be any more work that day, so he went home. Oswald claimed he then caught a bus, and when the bus got tied up in traffic, he took a cab to his rooming house to get money, and then he went directly to the movies. When asked his feelings about President Kennedy, Oswald told police, quote, My wife and I like the president. I think he is doing a good job, end quote. On Saturday, November 23rd, and again on the morning of the 24th, Oswald was shown a copy of a photograph, apparently of himself holding a rifle and wearing a handgun and a holster on his right hip. He told Captain Fritz and the others who were present that the photograph was a forgery. He further stated that he had done photographic work before and that the photo was a fake and he could prove it if given the chance. He was not given the chance or even given legal representation. During his time in custody, no lawyer was present on behalf of Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald was arraigned for the Tippett killing at 7.10 p.m. Friday, November 22, 1963, and for the assassination of President Kennedy at 1.35 a.m. on November 23rd. Both arraignments were before Judge David Johnston. He had been charged with both killing Officer Tippett and John F. Kennedy. How long ago was he charged? With the president's killing. 1126, he was. 1126, he was charged on the latter charge. I figure we have sufficient evidence to convict him. Here comes Oswald down the hall again. You buy that rifle? You people have been given, but I emphatically deny these charges. Oswald has hustled uh, through a doorway. The Dallas police station was in a state of utter confusion while Lee Oswald was a prisoner there. It was packed wall to wall with reporters and television and radio crews from around the world who directed inquiries to Oswald whenever he appeared in the hallway as he was taken from one part of the building to another. He told the reporters and film crews that he had not shot anybody, that he was just a quote patsy, and he asked for someone to step forward and give him legal assistance. No one did. The Assistant Attorney General of Dallas, Bill Alexander, was present at several of the interrogation sessions, and he was greatly disturbed by the curious demeanor of Lee Harvey Oswald. Alexander said, quote, I was amazed that a person so young would have the self-control that he had. It was almost as if he had prepared for the situation. It kind of seemed he had been rehearsed or programmed to meet the situation he had found himself in. It was almost as if he anticipated every question, every suggestion, every move that any of the people in charge of him made. Rehearsed by whom? Who knows? End quote. One of the officers in charge of the security of Oswald was Detective James Lavelle. He was one of the first to interrogate Oswald. Lavelle states, quote, His demeanor was awfully calm. 
I know that I could not have answered the questions in the same manner he did had I been guilty of killing two people, one being the President of the United States. He acted to me that his answers were rehearsed, like he knew what not to say if he was arrested." End quote. I sat down and interviewed James Lavelle back in 2005, and he told me that he was told by Captain Will Fritz, who was the head of Homicide, quote, "...make sure you can wrap up a good case on Oswald shooting Tippett, because we're not too sure about this Kennedy business." We don't have much evidence for Oswald shooting Kennedy, end quote. Later that same night, Captain Will Friss mentioned to one of the other detectives that President Lyndon Johnson had just called him and said, quote, You've got your man. The investigation is over, end quote. I really don't know what the, what the situation is about. Nobody has told me anything. I'm accused of, uh, of uh, murder and police. I know nothing more than that, and I do request... Uh, someone to come forward uh, to give me uh, a legal assistance. Did you kill the president? No, I've not been charged with that. In fact, nobody has said that to me yet. Uh, the first thing I heard about it was when the newspaper reporters in the hall uh, asked me that question. Next week on the end of Innocence, the JFK assassination, we would continue to look at Lee Oswald under arrest at the Dallas Police Department. We will also look at what the evidence says whether Lee Oswald fired a rifle that day, and who was the mysterious figure lurking in the shadows of the Dallas Police Department just waiting to get a chance at Lee Oswald. We'll see you next week.